So <coughs> we're ready to do the hyperfine splitting. So the electron has a dipole moment proportional to its spin. Clutch factor out front, the G factor is close to two. Proton also has a magnetic moment proportional to its spin with the G factor. How much should the G factor of the proton be? <coughs> the electron has a G factor that's two, the proton should have a G factor that's. complicated thing made up of quarks and gluons. Uh, naively, you might say there's three quarks, so it should be around six. <coughs> it's some very complicated thing that you need a supercomputer to calculate. So we just measure it. But since it has a dipole moment, that means it produces a magnetic field. And everyone knows the magnetic field of a dipole. say, if you draw in the magnetic field lines, the dipole field looks like this. Inside the proton, there's approximately a uniform magnetic field. Uh, but the size of the proton is very small compared to the distances we're interested in. So proton is 10 to the minus 15 meters, and atoms are 10 to the minus 10 meters. So this volume can be approximated by delta function. Or the way they get this is taking a limit that the, the radius of this dipole goes to zero with a fixed magnetic dipole. So we'll approximate all that strong interaction, complicated stuff by a delta function. <laughs> so that means there's a new term in the Hamiltonian that we ignored up till now. It's called the hyperfine term. So it's just the magnetic 
dipole moment of the electron dotted into the magnetic field <coughs> of the proton. perturbation theory to figure out what the shift in the energy levels are. Using the fact that the dipole moments are proportional to the spins, I've just factored out some constants and left the spins, because those are operators that we need to take expectation values of, and with the one over R cubed. And there's another term, the delta function. complicated uh, thing to do, and so we won't do it. So there's in problem uh, 627, you get to show that for L equals 0, this term vanishes. So we'll only, we're only going to look at the ground state, so n equals 1, L equals 0. So we only have to worry about this term. I didn't write the delta function. So because of this delta function, uh, we don't have to do any integration, right? This will just give us the wave function squared at the origin times the expectation value of the spin of the proton dotted into the spin of the electron, which will depend on the spin quantum numbers. <laughs> expectation value. So we have, this is degenerate perturbation theory because 
there's two possible spin states for the electron and two possible spin states for the proton. So we should diagonalize a 4 by 4 matrix. Or we can think of some operator that commutes with the perturbation Hamiltonian. And then we can just take a single expectation value. Any guesses? The square. What what's s? Use what? Uh, the s squared of the The s squared of the electron of the proton. Uh, did anyone read the chapter? We look at the total spin, sp plus se, then that s squared will commute with this. Just like when we did the spin orbit, <coughs> we looked at the total angular momentum squared that commuted with l dot s. The total spin squared will commute with sp dot se. So this is the spin spin term as opposed to the spin orbit term. So, you guys remember about the clutch coordinate coefficients? We can do this in our heads now. If I put a lowering operator on this unique state, I'll get that. If I lower it again, I'll get that. The orthogonal state for that. that and I'll normalize it with a 1 over root 2. Can everyone see what I just did? You guys have done it so many times now. For spin half it's pretty easy. So if you only remember one thing in this course, this is the one thing you better remember. <coughs> so S squared squared plus s electron squared plus 2 sp dot se. So sp dot se is a half s squared minus sp squared minus se squared. sp squared is is what? 
anyone's with me here because I'm feeling lonely. S is the total spin. We have two spin half guys. So the maximum value it could be is 1. The minimum it could be is a half minus a half, 0. So this is a state with total spin 1. And SM equals 1, 0, minus 1. It's a state with total spin 0. So S is either 0 or 1. So we get a correction that's alpha to the fourth compared to our usual alpha squared. It's got an extra suppression of m electron over m proton, which is a factor of 1 over 2,000. And it's plus a quarter for spin 1 minus 3 quarters for spin 0. So the actual value that's splitting is 5.88. <coughs> times 10 to the minus 6 electron volts. Our usual binding energies were 13.6 eV over n squared. So this is a million times smaller. So why would anyone care about this thing? So, the reason people care is that the universe is made mostly of hydrogen, or at least the part that we can see is made mostly of hydrogen. And so, after the war, World War II, uh, remember people developed radio technology, radar. So, uh, this guy, Ewan, came back from the war. He was a radar officer 
so he knew how to build uh, microwave antennas and amplifiers and stuff. And Purcell, Professor Harvard, Ewan was going to get his PhD, so he was a graduate student, although he's a little old for a graduate student, but yeah, he was in the war. So uh, Purcell gave him this project because someone had calculated this funny little number, and uh, they realized that if they built a good enough microwave detector, so this is wavelength is 21 centimeters. Anyone know what the wavelength in your microwave oven is? It's about 12 centimeters. So <coughs> somebody calculated this number and so they thought maybe if you made a sensitive microwave detector and pointed it at the galaxy you could detect the cold hydrogen. It has to be cold because this is a small splitting. So if it was very hot, there would be equal amounts of the upper and lower guy and it would all be washed out in the mess. But if it's cold, then uh, the upper ones can be falling down to the lower ones and emitting, getting into equilibrium by emitting this small amount of energy. So this is the their horn sticking out of the attic window at Harvard. <coughs> and uh, they found it. So he did get his PhD, and back then people cared about science, so they were in Life magazine. You guys don't remember Life magazine, but it was like the main magazine that people read back then. So this was the beginning of radio astronomy, the detection of this 21 centimeter line. And this Ewan over on the left, uh, the next year he won the Nobel Prize, not for this, but for nuclear magnetic resonance. So he was a smart guy. So uh, this is a picture of a galaxy. So here's what you see. The yellow and white stuff is what you see with visible radiation. This blue stuff is what you see with the 21 centimeter, 21 centimeter line. So there's much more stuff you can see with microwaves than with light. So this stupid little number is important to some people, at least. So. so last week you guys read about the Zeeman effect, putting hydrogen atoms in a magnetic field. But it was too scary for us to actually attempt in class. There were square root signs and everything. So we're going to do uh, the case when you put the hydrogen atom in an electric field. So it's called the Stark effect. And electric fields are easier than magnetic fields. So we'll have an electric field that points in the z direction. So the correction to the Hamiltonian is just electric charge times the electric field. And we'll work out the shifts for n equals 1 and n equals 2. So for n equals 1, we can use a non-degenerate perturbation theory for the first order correction. 
the expectation value of the perturbation Hamiltonian. We're going to have to write a lot of uh, Ras and Kets, so I'm not going to write the psi, I'm just going to write the quantum numbers NLM, but no one will be confused. It's not a 3D harmonic oscillator, it's a hydrogen atom. So we just need the expectation value of Z in the ground state of hydrogen. This is calculation that you can do in your head. So let's do a slow motion replay. Why was that zero? Zero because you're integrating an odd function. simple way to see that is to look at parity. So the parity operator takes z to minus z. Parity operator takes the modulus of the wave function squared to the modulus of the wave function squared. So we take the wave function itself either to plus or minus itself. Then we square it, so it has to be itself squared. So that tells us that this integral is zero. <coughs> but you guys look skeptical. <coughs> so we can do this the easy way or the hard way. Yeah? I think in the previous homework, when we'd done that integral for the hydrogen atom, we said that since, for at least for the ground state, it's a spherical distribution, so there's no preferential z direction, so we can take that average. Yeah. I guess to us that seems like a simpler explanation. Okay, so we'll see see how you do the n equals two then when it's not spherically symmetric. Well, we'll see how you do. It. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree. Just saying it's spherically symmetric, and this is the plus z will cancel the minus z. That's all we're saying here. But this will be more powerful. This we can use this argument when it's not spherically symmetric too. But just to prove that it's really true. The y0, 0 is just a constant. Z is r cos theta. So we just if we just look at the theta part of the integral, there's a cos theta from the z and sine theta d theta from the measure. And theta goes from 0 to pi. So if we write x is cos theta, dx is minus sine theta. It's an integral from 1 to minus 1. So it really is integrating an odd function.
Now, we'll do n equals 2. Now there's four degenerate states. We get to do degenerate perturbation theory. Slide two zero zero one one two one one two one zero two one minus one. So we need to calculate the matrix elements of Z between states with n equals two and a arbitrary values of L and M. So L prime, M prime, and L M. So that means we have 16 three-dimensional integrals to do. So I hope you guys have got a lot of time. Or we can use that trick. So let's look at these wave functions. So we'll have some yl prime, ylm, some function of theta, which is, in this case, just cos theta, sine theta d theta. So, if our operator is just a function of theta, the only phi dependence comes from the YLMs. So those have e to the i phi, e to the i m phi. So that's going to vanish. And this is complex conjugate. So that's going to vanish unless m equals m prime. And if we use our parity again, parity on z takes z to <coughs> minus z. So this will only be non-vanishing if parity takes this guy times this guy to minus itself. Yeah? How do we use, like, how do we know when to use Um, when you're trying to calculate an integral, and you, it, well, you have to use your vast experience and intuition. How do you know how to solve any problem? I mean, if you're asking me, are you going to have to guess to do this on the exam? What are you asking me? I think the question could be rephrased as to how do we know when to use the period? <laughs> um, you know to use it when uh, you have a lot of integrals to do and they have some parity symmetry involved. So here it's clear that the operator has some definite parity. And we don't want to do 16 integrals. So we'll try the parity operator to see if it makes life easier. Maybe if we should do something less complicated with the parity operator? Or is it only when there's it's something complicated? I think we already did an example a few weeks ago. Maybe you weren't here. Maybe. But this is, a, this is a pretty simple example, actually. We're not going to do 16 integrals because we're going to use the parity operator. Oh. So we want to know how the YLMs transform under parity. So what we need to have is that YLM, we know the M's are equal. So we need YLM times YLM. YL prime M, YLM goes to minus itself. 
we know if it goes to plus itself, then we're doing an odd integral. It'll vanish. It'll only be, it'll be an even integral if both of these things go to minus themselves. We already saw that y0,0 zero, zero is even, because it's just a constant. It goes to plus itself. Now if you think about, here's the z-plane and here's x or y, so a slice. So theta is the, this is the angle from the z-axis. So if we take z to minus z, that means we're taking this point to this point. We also take x and y to minus themselves. So this angle is still theta, but the angle from the z-axis is pi minus theta. And if we look in the xy plane, we're at some point that has an angle phi. We take x and y to minus themselves. We're taking this point to this point. So the angle here is pi, pi plus pi. So parity takes theta to pi minus theta and pi to pi plus pi, pi plus pi. <coughs> so y10 is proportional to cos theta. So under parity, that will go to of pi minus theta, which is minus cos theta. And the y plus or minus 1 is proportional to sine theta. You get the plus or minus i phi. Under parity, we'll go to sine pi minus theta. E to the plus or minus i phi plus pi. So this sine of pi minus theta is the same as sine theta. So we can factor out the plus or minus i pi. But e to the plus or minus i pi is minus 1. That means there's only one integral that's not vanishing. The only thing that won't vanish out of the 16 possibilities. Two zero zero with two one zero, which is 
equal to the complex conjugate of this other possibility. So there's really only one integral to do instead of 16. So we know that the n values have to be the same, and one has to be one l has to be zero, and one l has to be plus one. the modulus of the radial wave function squared, dr, and there's an extra r because z is r cos theta. And then we also have cos theta times y0 zero zero star y10 integrated over angles. from here and now R20 from there. zero zero is just a constant, it's one over root four pi. Y one zero is proportional to cos theta. And our z is our cos theta, so we'll get cos squared theta inside instead of cos theta as we did before. So we just have to multiply these out and we'll get two powers. It'll be an r to the fourth and an r to the fifth times an exponential. Know how to do those integrals. If we write x is cos theta here, we get an integral of x squared now instead of integral of x. So this will become an integral x cubed over 3 minus 1 to 1. If I write x is cos theta. I'm going to spare you the algebra. Is that okay? Yes? I see a big yes in the back. So the answer is minus 3a, <laughs> where a is the Bohr radius. It takes five lines to get there. But. So now we can write our perturbation matrix. That was the goal. So 
W is the expectation value, the matrix element of perturbation Hamiltonian between all our states. So there's minus 3a from these overlap integrals. <coughs> Perturbation was charge times electric field times z. So if I write it in the same basis. Lots of zeros. Matrix we can diagonalize in our heads now. Yes? How do you know the one equals on the first row of the 2, 1, 0? Because I just chose to list these states in an arbitrary order. I chose this order 2, 0, 0, 2, 1, 1, 2, 1, 0. So it's the same order going down the side. times the identity and take the determinant of that. And it would only take a few lines because there's lots of zeros. Or we could just say, if I chose the basis in more clever order, so if I chose the two guys that are mixing together, 2, 0, 0, and 2, 1, 0, if I put them together, then that corner of the matrix would look like that. The rest of the matrix would be zeros. So there's really, it's really only a two by two matrix, since only only two things get mixed by this perturbation. Everyone happy with that? So we know the eigenvalues of this matrix, this two by two matrix, are plus one and minus one. And we know the states are 1 over root 2 plus 1 over root 2, the basis, and then the, the orthogonal one with the minus sign. Guys, don't. Who's not happy with that? Yeah? What, what aren't you happy with? The part where you said basis states. So our, these are our unperturbed eigenstates. And I can write them down in any order I want. Oh, I got that, but when you said, <coughs> if you have the eigenvalues, they're plus and minus one. It'll do that in the Yeah, so the eigenstates of this matrix, if I normalize them, this matrix acting on this eigenvector gives. This brings the root 2 up there. This brings that root 2 down there. So <coughs> same thing back. So I put a minus sign on one of them. And this brings the minus sign up. This one puts that one on the bottom. So I get minus what I had before. So this eigenvector has 
eigenvalue plus one, this eigenvector has eigenvalue minus one. And that's telling us about, these are our basis states, so this is telling us how much there is of that, and this is telling us how much there is of that. So that means we've found what the good states are. nothing happened to. And there's the orthogonal combination with the minus sign. The energy level here is the Bohr energy level minus this perturbation. These guys both have just the Bohr energy level. And this guy gets a positive shift. So as we turn on the electric field, two states stay degenerate, two split off. This state that goes down, this state goes up. This one has the minus sign, so it goes down. This had the positive eigenvalue, but there was a minus sign outside oh. of the matrix. You guys remember the 2, 0, 0 wave function, nice spherical symmetric thing? And the 2, 1, 0 had two lobes. So now if I take linear combinations of those two things, what will it look like? So in some regions, it's going to add together. In some regions, it's going to interfere and cancel. So we'll get something that's lopsided. So. This is the state that uh, is the plus combination. So the center where the proton is is here. So up here, 
the wave functions interfered destructively, and here they interfered constructively. So we have a big lobe down here. So that, that state has a dipole moment. So what it's done is it's aligned its dipole moment with respect to the electric field. The other state is the opposite one. So the dipole moment is pointing the other direction. So what would happen if I turned off the electric field now after getting it into this state? It's in an energy eigenstate. Has just once I turn off the electric field, all these states have the same energy. So it's in an energy eigenstate, so it'll just stay in that energy eigenstate. <coughs> but now it's in an energy eigenstate that has a dipole moment. It's cool. I think. So it's not going to go back to its uncontrolled state? No. Not, not unless you introduce some new interactions to force it to go back. It's an electric dipole moment. There's a proton here, and the electron is mostly up here. So there's a charge separation. But it's an energy eigenstate. There's no, well, even with the electric field, it's an energy eigenstate. But without the electric field, it's still an energy eigenstate. And it will just continue like this, which is not something you'd expect classically, I would say. So I'll ask one more time about the exam. We're supposed to have a midterm next Monday. Is, is there any conflict uh, that people know about? Got someone's attention. <laughs> it's covering chapters five and six. Yes. I think it'll be on Friday. <coughs> we have to find a room. Is Friday okay? So Friday afternoon? Yeah, I'll work on finding a room. Did you post extra like problems for us to do? I know you did the homework as a review from the basic Yeah, so I just put like the problems and forgot. Or I can put on last year's midterm again. Would that help? Yeah, I'll I'll try to put up some extra problems that we can do in the view too. Okay. Thank <laughs> you.